Okay, we are in the middle of the 13 principles of faith. What we did was we went through all 13 one time if, uh, in the beginning, and then we've been going them over slowly. And we are holding now by the fourth of the principles. Um, what did I say wrong? You didn't get very far while I missed your class. No, because we've been doing them one by it's one. Depth, really. It's it's yeah. beautiful. You, yeah, that's what we learned. Are you going okay. to write a book on this? Stuff? It's really good. Okay. It's like out of the way, you know? What, what do you mean? It, it, it's just different than, you right. know? Right, well, we regularly learn, right? That's correct. Okay, so to review, the first five of the 13 are devoted to Hashem himself, right? We talked about that. The first five are Hashem. Later we have Emunah, and, I'm sorry, Nevuah and Torah, and so on. So of those five... We talked about number one, which is the existence of Hashem. Number two is the oneness of Hashem. Number three is that Hashem has no body of any form. That's what we did last week. We did number three. Uh-huh. Which brings us to number numbers four and five, which, why, which I intend to cover tonight. Number four is that Hashem is, in the Rambam's words, the ultimate kadmain. A kadmain means he is the first existence. But as Rambam goes on to explain... It doesn't, normally when we talk about first, we talk about first in relation to second and second in relation to third, where all of them are sort of like, um, you know, one is a little bit earlier than the other. The word Kadmon really means the ultimate first. The ultimate first means that he was around before first and second started, before time started. Hashem is the creator of time, and Hashem is the only existence that was always, that never started at any given point. Now, I mentioned way, way back that many people say the animamins, right? It's not in the Chabad Siddur, but in many Siddurim, maybe most Siddurim, I didn't do a, you know, I didn't check all the Siddurim, but many Siddurim, they, people say every day after davening, 13 animamins. I believe, I believe, I believe. Those animamins are based on the 13 principles of faith, but they were not written by the Rambam. They were written by someone later. It's not clear who exactly penned the animamin. And there's critique even on it, and there's different wording there that's different than what the Rambam writes. But if you take this fourth one, which the Rambam says that Hashem is the Kadmon, Hashem is the initial existence, the existence that always was, in Ani Mamin, it's written that we believe Hashem is Rishon, He's first, and Acharon, last. Now, that last part doesn't come from the Rambam. The Rambam said Hashem is the initial entity, the initial, the entity that always was, the entity that never uh, didn't didn't begin, which that really includes within itself that Hashem will always exist also, because um, if something always was never began, that means there's nothing that has to cause it to be. That means it always is. So Hashem always was and always will be. Now here we have an interesting thing. Um, Hashem is the only existence that always was. Is he the is he the only existence that always will be? Could something have begun at some point and then go on forever? It's sort of a philosophical question. Hashem never be, Hashem was always there, so he always will be. But what about something that wasn't always? Like the oceans, say? I don't know. Like, we'll see like in a minute. But could something be created in a way that it could be forever? And the answer to that question is yes. Hashem could create things, and Hashem did create things, we'll see soon, that those things will keep on going on and don't, don't finish. 
Um, so Hashem is not the only thing that always will be because Hashem created other things that always will be. What sets Hashem apart is that He always was. Everything else has a beginning. So to be clear, everything aside from Hashem has a beginning date. But an expiration date, not necessarily, because Hashem could create something that should last on forever. Um, let's talk about physical um, beings. In physical beings, in creations, um, most things that we have, most things that we look at in this uh, room have an end date. They don't last forever. right? People don't last forever. Um, physical items in this world don't last forever. What in this world does last forever? Any thoughts? The sun, the moon, the stars, right? They don't stop. The sun goes around every day the same way that it did a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago, three thousand years ago. So when it comes to the, the hosts of the heaven, which is again, um, in, in Hebrew they're called Hashamayim, which literally means the hosts of the heaven, the sun, the, uh, the moon, the stars, they were created in a way that they are ongoing and they never get weaker. They never get weaker, they never stop. Very much different than humans, that we do get weaker and we stop being at some point. And the same is with everything on this earth. So in creation itself, Hashem created some things that finish and that have expiration dates and some things that keep on going. When we talk about godly creations, like angels, malachim, or the light of Hashem, the or of Hashem, here also... We have things that are created that don't have an expiration date. They're created in an everlasting way. Nishamas, a soul. A soul is created, and it's created to last, to exist. Um, though it has a beginning, before it was created. So basically what we have the following. Really, if you break it down, we have three types of entities. We have entities that have a beginning and an end. What's a good example for something that has a beginning and an end? A human being. Um, or a table. It has the day it was created and it has the day that it's going to finish. And a human being has the day that it, the human was created and the day that he passes away or expires and finishes. Then we have things that have a beginning but they have no end. Like the sun and the moon or like neshamas or like um, the various divine creations or the, the or the energy that comes forth from Hashem that has a beginning but doesn't have an end. But then we have Hashem himself who doesn't have a beginning. He always was. So Hashem is the only one. What what sets Hashem apart, so to speak, is that he never began. He always was, always was in existence. That's why when you learn Hasidus, there's a uh, phrase that's mentioned many, many times, and that is the Ur Ein Sof. When you read Tanya or any other book of Hasidus, you'll find this numerous times. The Or Ein Sof. How, does, how, how would we translate Or Ein Sof? The light of Hashem that has no end. The light of Hashem that has no end. That has no end. But Hashem himself, about Hashem himself it says, Ein Lo Tchila. He doesn't have a beginning. What's greater, not to have a beginning or not to have an end? Not to have an end. No. Why? Because... Hashem could create something, but give it infinite powers to keep on going forever so it has no end. But it's still a creation. If it's a creation, it means it has a beginning. There was a time when it wasn't. 
Something that has no beginning means there never was a time when it wasn't. It so wasn't a creation. Perfect. So then it won't have an end either? Then obviously it won't have an end. Well, because the only thing that's like that is Hashem. Is Hashem. So Hashem is the only one that has that... Um, what's so it? aside from Hashem, what's better? I'm sorry? <laughs> Which one is a better option? Not having a beginning or not having an end? Besides for Hashem. Right. In other words, the only thing that has no beginning is Hashem. Everything else has a beginning. So when we uh, say that this or this light from Hashem is so great, it's it's infinite. It has no end. That's wonderful. So it's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. But it had a beginning because it's a creation from Hashem. So that's why whenever you see Ein Sof, it's limitless. It doesn't end. That's great. That's very powerful. But it's still not Hashem because it has no ending, but it does have a beginning date when Hashem brought it into creation. And Hashem is, the, again, the only one that it can be said about him that in lo tchila, he doesn't have a time when he began. And that is exactly what this fourth um, principle of faith is, that Hashem is a kadmo, that he is the only one, the only thing about which you could say it doesn't have any beginning because it never was brought into being. It is. It is and always was. That is what Hashem is. So when we think about things that are like the sun and the moon, they're, they're tr- tremendous, that they keep on going and they never get weaker and they go on forever. And that is a inkling of, you see Hashem's power there. But it's not Hashem himself, obviously. It's interesting, we say in davening, we say every morning, um, the Birchos Kriya Shema. We talked about that. We have, after the Yishtabach, we have uh, Shema, but Shema is sandwiched in between Brachos. The first of the Birchos Kriyashma, the Yotzer Or, finishes with the following statement. It says, HaMechadesh Bituvo Bechol Yom Tamid Maisei Bereshis. That Hashem um, may, is, uh, renews in His goodness every day creation. Every day Hashem renews creation. Ka'amur, as it says, Laosei Orim Gidolim Ki Olam Chasdo. As it's written, that he makes the great luminaries because his kindness is forever. Now, if you're following along that statement in davening, that's it's a little hard to understand what how the verse proved the point that the statement is saying. Again, what did we say in English? Hashem renews in his kindness every day, ma'asei bereshis. He renews in his kindness every day creation, as it's written that he makes... Great luminaries. How is making great luminaries a proof to the fact that he renews creation every day? What's the connection of the two statements? Following? And this is our morning davening. Hamechadesh betuva. He he uh, he uh, renews creation in in his goodness and his kindness every day, as it's written that he makes the great luminaries. And here the question is, and this is a question that the commentaries to Siddur ask. What's the connection of those two statements? Because he creates the luminaries, that means that he creates every day, renews creation. What's the connection of the luminaries with renewing creation? And there's different answers given. Um, perhaps on the simplest level is because the word is, when it talks about the luminaries, it says, Laose orim gedolim, he makes the luminaries. It doesn't say he made them. The luminaries are, you know, 5,780 years old. It doesn't say Hashem made the luminaries. It says, He makes the luminaries. So that indicates that creation is ongoing. That's on one level. 
But a deeper explanation that's given, the the, the, free, the, the previous Rebbe gives us in a mimer, he says, the luminaries are the creations that we can look at and see something that has an infinite power to it. Because they never die. They never die, they never weaken. Um, they're constant. So they have within them the koach, the power of the insof. The infinite Hashem put his infinite power into those creations that constantly exist, that they constantly give light. And therefore they are a symbol of the infinite power of Hashem. And what we're saying is, just like Hashem's infinite power is in the luminaries of heaven, just like we see the infinite power of Hashem in the sun and the moon and the stars that are constant and don't weaken and so on and so forth, in the same way, this world that seems very finite also has the infinite power of Hashem in it. Because this world, even though it's finite, is something that constantly has to be recreated, constantly has to be re-energized, that the world shouldn't cease to exist, as we've discussed in earlier classes. So that's what it means in davening. That Hashem renews creation constantly. There's the Ein Sof in creation as we see in the luminaries. So Hashem created certain creations where He sort of exhibits His power, exhibits the uh, limitless power of Hashem, and that tells us that all creations are beneficiary of an infinite power of Hashem that's constantly creating them. One last point on this. We know that there's a lot of ruchnias, a lot of spiritual creations. There's malach and there's angels and there's neshamas and there's worlds and there's uh, the more you learn Kabbalah and Hasidic, you learn about Atzilus and Bria and Yitzira and Chachman, Bina and Das and all the different levels and creation, and multitudes of levels of creation. And then there is this physical world. Now, for some reason, Hashem is very fixated on this physical world. All mitzvahs are with the physical. Mitzvahs are to be done with the physical, with the physical world. Um, and somehow, this the Torah was given specifically down here in this physical world. More so than to all the spiritual levels and angels and everything else that there is in between. What's so special about the physical? What's so special about what we call Gashmias, the physical, the uh, mundane creation? So there's many different ideas and explanations about this. This coming week is the Alter Rebbe's Yartzeit. As I just mentioned earlier, it's the Yartzeit of the Alter Rebbe, the Balatani. Right before he passed away, he wrote, we have the last thing that he wrote. What's the last, the Alter Rebbe wrote a lot in his lifetime, the last thing that he wrote just before he passed away, and we know when he passed away, he was very, uh, he was in the middle of running away from Napoleon, and he wasn't even in his hometown, and he was traveling, he stopped off in a little city. And in that little city, called the, uh, it was actually a village, village of Piena, he wrote there what later became known as the 20th letter of Igeras HaKodesh, of the letters of the Alter Rebbe. Um, we know the Tanya itself has, four, has five sections. And the fourth section of the Tanya is letters. It's a compilation of letters of Igros that the Alter Rebbe wrote. Igeres number 20, the 20th letter of the Igeres HaKodesh, is what the Alter Rebbe wrote in the last days of his life. It's also one of the deepest and hardest parts of Tanya to learn. Very, very Kabbalistic. But what is, in a nutshell, what's the point he's trying to do in that letter, in that 20th letter? is to explain why mitzvahs have to be done with the physical. And the Alter Rebbe says something there very powerful, very beautiful, and very connected to what we're learning here tonight. He says, the very essence of Hashem 
can be found in the creation of Gashmis, in the physical. Hashem's essence is more enclosed and more embodied in the, in the creation of physicality, more so than in all of the spiritual levels and all of the um, angels and all of the spheres and everything that goes on above, the essence of Hashem is in the physical. Why? Why is it that the essence of Hashem is in the physical more than in all the spiritual? Because it, it, gives, it gives all the mitzvahs and learning that we do down here unbelievable meaning and importance. Okay, Good answer. However, the question is, why were the mitzvahs all down here? Why are all the mitzvahs connected with the physical? You're saying the physical is so important because all the mitzvahs are connected with them. But the Rebbe is coming from the other angle. Why did Hashem make it that all the mitzvahs are connected with the physical? Obviously because there's a certain power, a certain essential power of Hashem that's dafka in the physical creation. And the question is, why? Does it do with giving man purpose? Okay, um, that's, I think that's the correct answer. That's not the answer he says there, though. Uh-huh. In, in this place, in this, ta- in, the, in this chapter of Tanya, he takes a different approach. And what he says is the following. He says, what is the unique character or characteristic of the physical? What's, in what way is the physical creation uniquely different than all of the spiritual levels of creation? Says he, every level of spirituality, every level of holiness feels that it comes from something. Because it's spirit, any level of spirituality is able to sense that it is a product of a higher spiritual level. So take the world of Atsilus, which is the highest of the spiritual worlds, is able to realize and feel that it comes from the levels before the worlds. And the world of Bria comes from Atsilus, and Yitzira comes from Bria, and Asiya comes, and so on. There's a chain of creation in every chain, every link recognizes the link that comes before it. That's all until we get to this physical world. What goes on in this physical world? This physical world doesn't seem to have any source. Physicality, so to speak, says, I am an independent existence. I don't come from anywhere. Um, everything in this world seems to be independent. People in this world feel or can feel independent. I don't need a creator. No one made me. I come from myself. So this world is the only place that has a feeling of total independence. I don't come from anywhere else. I come from myself. I'm just here. Why? Why is it that this world feels full independence from any earlier source? Says Al-Turabi. Because you know what lies at the essence of this world? The essence of Hashem. And Hashem doesn't come from anywhere either. Just like Hashem is the ultimate kadmon, just like Hashem is the ultimate existence that nothing preceded it. Hashem doesn't come from anything. So Hashem invests itself in this world and that's why this world also has that property that it feels like I don't come from anything. And that's the connection of Hashem, the very first, and this physical world, the last step of creation. Both of them have that property of Kadmon. I don't come from anywhere. I'm a total independent entity. So Hashem is the ultimate, truly independent entity. Hashem, nothing makes Hashem. Hashem doesn't come from anywhere. And Hashem invests that independence into the physical creation. 
And all the spiritual creations don't have that independence. All spiritual creations feel how they come from the step right before them. And in the physical, in Gashmiya, such as we're, the Alter Rebbe says, the essence of Hashem can be found. That's why the physical world is the only world that has that sense of independence. And that's why um, Hasidus rules that when Mashiach will come, there will be a physical world. Right? We, at some point we discussed a great uh, debate between Maimonides and Nachmanides. Like, what's the ultimate end? The, the ultimate end game. The ultimate end game. Will there be a physical world, or will it just be neshamas? And Maimonides said, "We'll just be neshamas. At the end, you know, the whole physicality will finish, and we'll be neshamas with Hashem." And Nachmanides, Ramban argues. He says, "No. The ultimate story is that we'll be in this physical world, and that's where Hashem will be revealed. And that's how Hasidus rules. Hasidus says that Hashem, the essence of Hashem, will be revealed in this world because of that." unique connection and that bond between Hashem and the physical creation which is at the very end of the chain of creation. All that goes back to this idea that Hashem is the ultimate Kadmon, Hashem is that first entity, the entity that precedes any form of time and any form of creation. All of that is the fourth of the principles. And now I want to move on to principle number five which as I told you is the end of the first Segment of the principles, the uh, the segment that deals with Hashem Himself. What is principle number five? Hayikara Hamishi, the fifth principle is that Hashem is the only entity that is worthy of worship. As Rambam writes, I'm, I'm reading, I'm quoting from him. Hashem is uh, the one who is worthy to serve Him and to to uh, praise Him and to fulfill His mitzvahs and to no one else. No one else do we serve in any form. Um, and also, we don't create anyone else to be an intermediary between us and Hashem. This is the fifth of the principles. In- interesting to note, yes? People sometimes have a hard time with the concept of a rabbi. Excellent. Because of that. Excellent. And that's something that I want to talk about in a moment. That's exactly what, I'm to- what I want to talk about. So, it's, in- it's important to note when it comes to principle number five that it's not an article of faith, it's not a munam. It's more of what we're supposed to do, how we relate to Hashem. And in that way, principle five is different than principles one, two, three, and four. Okay, it's an important note. Uh, one, two, three, and four are all faith. We believe in Hashem's existence. We believe in Hashem's oneness. We believe in Hashem not having any form of body. And we believe that Hashem is the initial entity. Number five is not we believe, but it's based on A, B, C, D. Because we believe in Hashem and His existence and His oneness and the way He is, that's why we understand that there's no one else that is, there's, that is worthy of all of any form of service. Um, we discussed that the initial idolatry, idolatry came to this world from where, started with people creating intermediaries. Um, you know, initially Hashem created Adam and Chava, there was no idolatry then. It was in their grandson, in the time of their grandson, Enosh, that people started saying, you know what, there's a sun, there's a moon, they're powerful. Um, perhaps they could or should serve as intermediaries between us and Hashem, and they started praying to them, and they started dealing with them. Um, and that is where idolatry began. It went from step to step until they forgot about Hashem and just served the idols um, on their own. But it started with creating intermediaries. And here... We're told, and this is a basis, a basic varamuna, uh, is that nothing serves as an intermediary between us and Hashem. Yes, Hashem gives light through the sun, but the sun is not a 
a decider about that. The sun has no say in the matter, and therefore the sun is not an intermediary. The sun is merely a vehicle through which Hashem shines light. And the sun, and the moon, or Malach, whatever it is. That is the fifth um, of these of these um, of the of the principles of faith. Now, I'll I'll talk about the question that you mentioned, and that was also a question that came up the first time we went through the principles of faith. What's with a tzaddik? What's what's with a tzaddik, and what's with the Rebbe? Um, that we know that um, in many places, the tzaddik and the Rebbe is seen as someone who connects us to Hashem, someone through whom we connect to Hashem. And that is something that started all the way back from Moshe Rabbeinu, right? Moshe Rabbeinu says in the Chumash, very simply, he says, Ani omeid bein Hashem u'beinechem. I stand between you and Hashem to give over to you the word of Hashem. Um, and famously in the Chumash, who challenges that? Who challenges Moshe Rabbeinu as the intermediary between Hashem and the Jewish people is Korach. Right? Because Korach says, very simply, he says it in, in the Chumash, Korach says, um, kulam kidoshim. All of the nation is holy. Hashem. Hashem is amongst all of us. Why do you make yourself great over the people? That, that taina, that argument, we're all holy. We all have a neshama. We're all holy. We all can connect to Hashem. That taina was, that um, complaint, or that argument was verbalized clearly in the Torah by Korach. And we know that Korach, obviously, um, was wrong and was uh, was punished immediately in the Torah in a very uh, you know very uh, revealed in front of all the in front, in front of all the Jewish people. But the question remains: Why is it? Why is it that Hashem created this situation that on the one hand He says that there's nothing between us and Hashem, and that we shouldn't make and it's a principle of our faith not to make anything between us and Hashem and not to look to any form of intermediaries. And intermediaries is the beginning of of a desire of idolatry ultimately. And at the same time, when it comes to tzaddikim, it comes to neshamas, Hashem says, um, yeah, this is the way to do it. And starting from Meshur Rabbeinu and carrying on through all the generations. The Gemara says, right, the Gemara says, if a person has someone sick in their home, someone is sick in the house, you should go to the wise person, you should go to the Talmud Chacham, to daven for him. So, again, in normative Yiddishkeit, and then, you know, going to Kvarim of tzaddikim, this is in, in Gemara and in Halacha, we have this concept of tzaddikim um, who daven for us and who tell us what to do and how to do and when to do, and we connect to Hashem through them and their teachings. Why is that? So I want to just quickly discuss two ideas about that. One of them is from the Hassam Sofer. The Hassam Sofer was one of the greatest um, halachic uh, authorities who lived about 200 years ago. Uh, he was the Rav in Pressburg, which was, I'm pretty sure it was in, it's in Hungary. Um, and he was a tremendous halachic authority whose halachic responsa and his writings on the Talmud are studied till today, very much so by everyone, uh, Hasidim and non-Hasidim alike. The Hassam Sofer was asked this question. He was asked, why is it? Why is it that we go and we ask a tzaddik for a bracha? And how does and he was asked exactly in this in these words how is it why is that not a problem with the idea of creating some form of intermediary between us and Hashem? Uh, furthermore, he says he quoted from the morale of Prague. The morale of Prague writes that one should never ask for a malach if you have an, a malach, an angel. Let's say we would be able to talk to an angel. 
So would we ask the angel, can you, uh, you know, intercede uh, by Hashem for us? Or would we send an angel to Davin for us? Instead of Davin into Hashem, says the Maharal of Prague, no. So it's forbidden. There is no, we would not uh, have an angel pray for us. That is creating an intermediary. We don't do that. So therefore, the, the Hassam Sofer was actually asked this question. He says, so why an angel not and a tzaddik yes? What's the reason for that? And his approach is a very interesting approach. He says, he says because we have a, a, a simple cloud, a simple rule, that all klal Yisrael are like one, like one entity. Um, it's as if we're one big body. Says the Hassam Sofer. If I have a headache and my mouth asks the king or asks Hashem to help my head, is that considered the head making the mouth an intermediary? This is some sort of his logic. He says, if there's a head and there's a mouth, or there's a hand and a mouth, so my hand is aching, so I need help. So I use my mouth to ask for help. Would someone say, well, you're making your mouth as an intermediary between your hand and Hashem? Everyone understands that's foolish. Why is that foolish? Because the hand and the mouth are one entity. Just one knows how to talk and one doesn't. The mouth is not an intermediary between the hand and Hashem. The mouth is, the mouth and the hand are one person. Says the Hassam Sefer, the same thing is with a tzaddik and a regular person. That those who look at a tzaddik as being an intermediary is because they look at all of us as separate people. And there's me, and there's the other person, and there's a tzaddik. But the emesis, says the Hassam Sefer, that we're one entity, Klal Yisrael is one entity. And there are those of us who know how to speak better than others, and speak to Hashem better than others. And a tzaddik is the mouth for Klal Yisrael. And he could speak to Hashem for us. And therefore, when he speaks to Hashem for me, uh, or when he tells me what Hashem says, it's not like using a separate entity as an intermediary between Hashem and myself. Rather, it's me, myself, expressing myself to Hashem through my mouthpiece. And that's how he comes from a, a purely uh, halachic perspective. But he says, therefore, there's no issue here of intermediary because the tzaddik and I are considered one entity. Now, that idea takes on a lot more meaning when, you, when one learns Tanya and one understands this idea of how much we're really one entity, all the neshamas are one, and how much not, not only are we one, but how the tzaddik, as the Alter Rebbe explains in the second chapter of Tanya, is considered the head of, the, uh, of Klal Yisrael. And just like a head and a body, that the head is the source from where the entire body gets its direction and gets its energy and gets its highest and so forth. As he says, the tzaddik, and that's where the word Rebbe comes from, as we know, that famously the word Rebbe stands for Rosh B'nai Yisrael, the head of the Jewish people. The head, in a sense, of just like a head and a body that leads and directs and guides all parts of the body. So therefore, all of this fits into what the Chassam Sefer says, that the tzaddik and the people are one entity, not like a malach on a person or a sun and the moon in the person, which would be intermediaries. Over here is one entity, uh, one entity, and we are expressing to Hash, ourselves to Hashem through the tzaddik, who is the best one to express us, and, and, and vice versa. Hashem talks to us through the tzaddik, as He talked to us through Meshur Rabbeinu, again, not as a separate entity, but as one klal Yisrael. Right? We have a, in halacha, there's a concept called an oriv. An oriv means a guarantor. We have in halacha a, a concept which is kol Yisrael arevin zeloze. That all Jews carry our guarantors one for another. Everyone has a responsibility. The kids, the kids at Har Sinai and Har Sinai were the, like the guarantors. Okay, okay, that's another concept. That the kids are guarantors for kol Yisrael. But in halacha, every yid is considered a guarantor halachically for every other yid. 
that's a very much uh, a halachic idea. As long as it's not for everyone's mortgage. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. That's why halachically, um, for example, let's say um, if they do a make kiddush, and someone comes to the house and they can't make kiddush on their own, so I'm so whoever it is is allowed to make kiddush for another person. Why? Even though. I already heard Kiddush, or I made Kiddush. Why can I do it again for someone else? So the halacha, the answer is because I carry halachic responsibility to see the other person that they do their mitzvah as well. And that's really the idea behind mifsayim. Well, the Rebbe says that every person has a responsibility not only to see to it that I'm doing my mitzvahs, but to help another you do his mitzvah. That's really a halachic concept. But so everyone knows the word arev means guarantor, but really the word arev has a deeper meaning also. The word arev in Hebrew, me'urav, is to be mixed in together. The reason we have an obligation to be and our guarantors one for another is because on a neshama level we are all really mixed mixed in with each other. And because we're mixed in with each other, therefore we're one entity and that's why one person could be motzi another person in a mitzvah. What was that second word? Meurav. Meurav means to be mixed. La'arev is to mix. Right? So I'm saying the two words in Hebrew of arev, which is guarantor, together with the word meurav, which is to be mixed in, are connected. The reason we are responsible one for another, the reason we are guarantors one for, for another, is because we are ultimately one entity that's all mixed in with each other. We find Klal Yisrael is compared to the Menorah. The Menorah has seven candles, uh, can- candlesticks, and there's seven types of neshamas, and seven types of midos. What was unique about how the Menorah was made, the Menorah of the Mishkan? It was one block of gold, and that block of gold was, um, was uh, shaped, formed into a Menorah. What happens when you have one block of gold and you're trying to form something? You bang from one side, you bang from the other side. So the gold gets mixed in. What's in one end ends up in the other end. What's one and the other end. So it says that all of the neshamas of Yidin are like that one block of of gold. And then every neshama comes out of that. But ultimately we're all, um, we all have within ourselves from everyone else as well. And that's again behind those two meanings to the word arif. To be a guarantor because we're mixed in with each other. And I'll just, to finish that idea, there's a third meaning to the Hebrew word arev as well, and that is sweet. Some, when you say a food that's arev, or a, or a voice that's arev, it means sweetness. So the same word, the same root word in Hebrew means to guarantee, it means to be mixed, and it means the sweetness, and they all go together. The reason we are responsible one for another, we're guarantors one for another, is because we're all mixed in together. We all come from one place. And that really is the sweetness of Klal Yisrael. The sweetness of Klal Yisrael is that it's one Klal Yisrael. And that all, all the candles of the Menorah come from that one block of gold. So however different people seem, we believe we're all one. And anyways, all of this comes back to that Chassam Sofer who says, that's why the concept of a tzaddik and the concept of a Rebbe is not in any way an intermediary because, again, we're one, and the, the Rebbe and the Tzaddik is one with me. And again, his famous example is, it's the mouth and the hand. And the mouth is not an intermediary from the hand to something else. It's the same body. That's how the Chassam Sefer sees it. Chassidus takes this a step further and says an, an additional reason why a Rebbe is not an intermediary. 
That is because, as Hasidus will, will always quote what the Alter Rebbe writes in Tanya, that in every single Yid, we have a part of Hashem Himself. Right? The basic idea that the Alter Rebbe tells us in the beginning of Tanya, in the second chapter, that the Nefesh Hashem is the second soul of a Yid, is a chilek elokami mal mamash. is a part of Hashem. What makes someone more of a tzaddik? The more a tzaddik is a tzaddik, the more what's revealed within that person is their part of Hashem. Right? By a regular person, by most people, um, we have a part of Hashem within us, no doubt, but we also have the rest of us. You know, the animal soul and the uh, and our temptations and our you know faults and our good things and our bad things, but there's so much going on and we also have at our essence a part of Hashem. A tzaddik is someone that that part of Hashem slowly but surely consumes the entire person so that that becomes the life force, that becomes the governing um, soul and entity of what this person is. That's why, why is it that uh, tzaddik can perform miracles? What is it What is it in the tzaddik, uh, in the tzaddik's, uh, why is a tzaddik one typically who miracles might be performed by a tzaddik? Because a tzaddik is someone who the divine is more and more revealed. I think there was once a, uh, a group of college kids who came into the Rebbe. This is way, way back in the 1950s. I think Shlomo Karlbach brought them in. And a group of college kids came into the Rebbe and they had an audience. The Rebbe spoke for them. And then he asked if any of them have any questions. So one of them, who was you know, probably more uh, you know, chutzpahdik than the others, says, uh, I heard them say, they say about you that you can perform miracles. Is that true? So he asked the Rebbe. Uh, answer that question, right? So the Rebbe said, Rebbe said, he says, every Yid has within themselves a part of God. The part of God is not limited by nature. The more we're in touch with that part of God, each and every one of us can perform miracles. That's the Rebbe answered him. He says, yeah, we all have that ability. The question is to be in touch. To be in touch with that part of us, that's godly. And then the Rebbe told him, and you could perform a miracle too. He says, because you could change, using that part of God within you, you can change your behavior in ways that would seem miraculous. <laughs> if you get in touch with that part of you that's not limited, you could do change that everyone else will think that's impossible for you to do. That's a miracle. What's a miracle? A miracle means things that you, nobody thinks that can't happen. You can't do that. But by getting in touch with that part of you that's infinite, so yeah, you can also perform miracles. That was the answer the Rebbe said this person. I don't know. Maybe some. I'm sure that guy knows. I don't know. I don't know. But the point says Chassid is like this. A Rebbe and a Tzaddik, when we're connecting to a Rebbe and a Tzaddik, is because we're connecting to the godliness that in that person is shining in such a tremendous way. It's not. You don't think they have more godliness? It's not a question or of more. It's a question, you know, the chilek elokami mal mamish that we have, that essence, Hashem is Hashem. All of us have a part of Hashem in us. The tzaddik is the one who that part of Hashem is totally expressed. There's nothing else in the way. So everything is godly, everything is holy. You know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll take this 
one step further. We all know it says Sadiqim don't really die. Right? Yaakov of Inalomes, Yaakov didn't really die. Sadiqim live on. Why? What does that mean? And they're buried, and there's a body, and so on and so forth. There are a million questions. But the, the simple answer, that, or one of the answers, the way the Alter Rebbe explains that question is very simple. He says, nobody's soul really dies. My soul doesn't, nobody's soul dies, because the neshama doesn't die. So why do we say people die? Because what dies? Everything else. So how big is the everything else? By most people, the everything else is pretty big. Right? There's, there's a part of me that doesn't die. Okay. But the, the other 90% does. Who's the tzaddik? The tzaddik is someone that who's the, what's the 90% is the godly soul. The animal soul is gone. The Yesar doesn't exist, right? So we're talking about someone that who is the thing that's operating here is godliness. So the point is, I have the same thing, but there's so much else going on. And the tzaddik is someone who doesn't have so much else going on. That godly soul, that's the one, when you're talking to him, that's who's talking. You're talking, when you're talking to a regular person, you're talking to an animal soul, you're talking to a vital soul, you're talking to a Yitzhahari, you're talking to Tyvus, and you're talking to somewhere deep there, somewhere deep down there's a godly soul. But when you're talking to the tzaddik, all of that's gone. So there's a goof, there's a body. Body's a body, body's physical, body dies. But the tzaddik, the, the conscious eye of the tzaddik is godliness, is a giluya revelation of Hashem in this world. And that's why I say the tzaddik doesn't die, because the tzaddik's conscious eye continues to exist. We don't see him anymore. That's a problem. We'd love to see, we'd love to talk. But the conscious eye of the tzaddik was godliness. Godliness doesn't die. And our conscious eye isn't godliness. That dies. So when coming from this perspective, Hasidah says, a tzaddik is not an intermediary to Hashem. A tzaddik is a revelation of Hashem. It's a total different angle. We don't look as, okay, tzaddik, can you do me a favor? Can you take a trip to Hashem and talk to him for me? The tzaddik is the, the, the place through which Hashem reveals himself in this world. Hashem reveals himself through Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu is not a, a, a go-between, like, Moshe, do me a favor, go talk to Hashem for me. Moshe is the one, through whom Hashem reveals himself to people, and through whom people can get an inkling and a feeling and a connection to Hashem. It's not an intermediary, it's a revelation of Hashem. If we were to ask a Malach, do me a favor, go talk to Hashem for me, that's an intermediary, Malach is not Hashem. But a tzaddik is the one who succeeded with divine assistance and a divine mission given to him to be the one to reveal Hashem to us. So in very short, just to summarize, we had the big question, because we don't make intermediaries. Chas that's this fifth um, principle of our faith. What about tzaddikim? So we have two answers. The chasam sofer says, because, what do you mean? The tzaddik is me, because it's the, the hand and, and mouth a parable. We're one entity us and the tzaddik. So he's not an intermediary, he's me. And Hasidah says, that's true. But on top of that, it's not an intermediary because the tzaddik is not something separate, but rather the one who succeeded. Again, because Hashem um, gave the tzaddik the mission to be the one to succeed, to be the revelation of Hashem to us, and through whom we're able to connect to Hashem, as Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, that you will be the one who will stand between me and the Jewish people. The Torah is given from Hashem to us through Moshe Rabbeinu, and as the Zayar says, the concept of Moshe is something that continues in the Sadiqim throughout the generations, who help us come closer and more connected to Hashem, not in a way of a separation, 
or an intermediary that's somewhere standing in between, but because we're one with the tzaddik, as the Chassam Sefer teaches us, and the tzaddik is a revelation of Hashem in this world to us. And that's why um, that's something that the Torah talks about all the time. Is it right to say that, um, that if there's brachas out there for us, that the Rebbe can reach the brachas and bring them down so that we can eat more easily grasp it? For sure. For sure. The Gemara says, commands. A tzaddik has tremendous powers. And that again, that power is something that's... Uh, that's that's how I've been sort of explaining sometimes to people who get, get you know, want to get off on this tangent, you know, about an intermediary and, and, you know, you know who they all compare an intermediary to. Okay, so I mean that's a, what you said is a correct statement, but I think what we discussed here tonight is the uh, the deeper understanding of how that fits uh-huh. into what we're learning here. I have to incorporate it. <laughs>